Welcome to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast, where we chat with scientists and clinicians funded by ACS. Now, we talk about research and we fund research in every space along the cancer research continuum. Today's conversation is going to focus on bone metastatic prostate cancer. We spoke with Dr. Leah Cook. Now, we actually funded her six, seven years ago when she was a postdoctoral fellow at Moffitt Cancer Center. And her career just took off. So she used that as a springboard to land a faculty position and start her own lab in the Department of Pathology and Microbiology at the University of Nebraska Medical Center, where she's landed another ACS grant that just started. So Susanna, my mysterious colleague, Dr. Susanna Greer, wasn't this a fun conversation? Could you set the stage a little bit? Hey, Joe. So you're right. Today, Today's conversation was really motivational to me and interesting. It was a story that Leah led us through about kind of the unknown. So so here's an unknown in prostate cancer. We don't know a ton about why prostate cancers leave the prostate and why they go where they go. They move, um, and the word we would use for that is metastasize to different places, and predominantly they metastasize to bone. So we don't really understand why that's the case, but we do know or are starting to understand more about what happens when prostate cancer cells metastasize to the bone, what happens there. So, and it's extraordinarily complicated because the bone is a crowded space. There's a lot going on. As you might imagine, the bones that you start with as an infant are quite different than the bones an old man like you ends up with. Um, They're a lot bigger and and totally different. So the bone is constantly growing and changing. Um, And unfortunately, that makes a really comfortable environment for tumor cells to kind of set up shop and grow. So Leah is going to tell us about her research on what happens when prostate cancer cells uh, move to the bone, set up shop, how do they interact with the immune system, and how might we be able to change that interaction in a way um, that we could eliminate uh, metastatic prostate cancer um, when it's in bone. So I'll let Leah take it from here. Hey, Leah, thanks so much for joining us today. We're super excited to talk to you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited for this opportunity. All right. We are going to get into the nitty-gritty of metastatic prostate cancer today. So this is a heavy subject. Um, I think I think we need to start, though, way back, <laughs> uh, just to help our listeners who maybe aren't even familiar with metastasis and certainly not with what you're going to be talking about, which is um, metastasis to the bone. Let's kind of, let's, let's start back where it all begins. Let's start back at the prostate. So when we have a prostate cancer, does it have a place that it goes more often or not when it metastasizes? And do we know anything about why that might be the case? So in theory, any tumor can go anywhere. But there are specific tumors that tend to go to specific locations, and prostate cancer is one of those, and it will most frequently go to bone more than any other tissue site. Um, And then it can be found in the lymph nodes. 
um, as well as the liver and the lung. But for some reason, it goes to bone more frequently. Um, and we're not entirely sure why it chooses bone more often, but the bone environment is a very good nutrient-rich area for a tumor to grow in. Hmm. Okay, well, that's interesting. So a couple of things you shared with us. So prostate cancers can move, and the word that we use for that is metastasize. And when that does happen, and you said you don't really totally understand why, but more frequently than not, these prostate cancers may go to the bone. So if if you have prostate cancer, what can you tell me maybe what percentage of men might experience a prostate cancer metastasis or movement to bone? So typically, um, the men that have more advanced prostate cancer, and so those are the ones that have a, a rising PSA level even after therapy, and that's kind of a um, signal for how much um, how much um, it's, it's a protein that usually comes from the prostate. And so if you see increased levels of PSA in response to therapy, then it's considered a more aggressive cancer. And 90% of those men who have aggressive prostate cancer tend to get bone metastases. Wow. So this is a really significant issue then. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for men who have this aggressive form of prostate cancer, so prostate cancer that's metastasized and metastasized, removed to the bone, how do you treat that? And I guess a follow-up question would be, do you, is it still prostate cancer or is it something else once it's reached a dis- distant site like the bone? So it's still considered prostate cancer because it still makes a lot of the same proteins that prostate cells make. Um, and so for that reason, the therapies for bone metastatic prostate cancer are some of the same ones that um, prostate cancer patients without metastatic disease are treated with. And so they will typically get what's called androgen deprivation. And so prostate cells rely on androgens to grow. And so a lot of the patients that have prostate cancer um, will be getting therapies that target androgen signaling and can help prevent prostate growth specifically. And so patients with even bone metastases will still get those therapies. There are just different um, types of androgen deprivation therapies that they will get if they have metastatic disease. Okay, so that doesn't sound too great to me that... Right. And maybe you can help clarify, but it, it sounds like not a not a perfect situation if we are treating, by and large, prostate cancer that's in the confined to the prostate in the same way that we're treating prostate cancer that's moved to the bone, because our expectation would be that the cancer has changed and that those changes right. maybe allowed it to make that move. Right, that's exactly true, and so that's some of the things we're trying to figure out in my lab is what are these differences of a bone metastatic prostate cancer that we can utilize to treat bone metastatic prostate cancer? Um, Because even though, you're right, even though it is still considered prostate cancer, those cells are still very different from the less aggressive ones that have remained localized in the prostate. Let's then think about this new place that these prostate cancer cells are going to hang out. So let's, 
we'll skip forward to why they've left the prostate and how they do that. I mean, those are huge areas of research. Um, but let's skip ahead to this not great scenario that your research is focused in, and that is that prostate cancer cells basically set up shop somewhere else. They've moved to the bone. So let's talk about the bone. What what actually happens there? What happens in bones when prostate cancer cells invade, for lack of a better term? Um, do the cancer cells change the bone in some way? So the short answer to that is yes. Um, the bone is a really interesting organ because it's one of our most dynamic organs. It's constantly repairing itself. So we have these cells that will build bone, and we have the cells that will break down bone that might be um, worn or have micro fractures. And bone is actually kind of like a reservoir or a bank for growth factors. Hmm. So when our bone is repairing itself and it starts breaking down worn bone, then it will start releasing some of these growth factors into its environment and it will recruit some of those cells to build bone. But if a tumor is there, then a tumor can um, benefit from some of those same growth factors and begin to grow in response to those factors that are just there to help repair our bone. Ah, what a mess. So prostate cancer cells then end up in a place that is conducive to their growth just because of the way bone works is what you're saying, that bones, right? as we grow, bones also need to grow and change. And so some of the messengers, some of the chemicals and proteins that are present in bones not only help bones to grow, but also help tumors to grow. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Okay. So... There's a lot going on then in bones. So you have these physical changes that happen in, in healthy bones and in, in all of us all the time. Mm -hmm. And right. then getting a little closer to what you study, we also have cells of the immune system that are present in bones. And that's also a, can be a good thing just as bones help themselves to heal and grow. The immune system is also present in bones for lots of good reason. Um, so let's start maybe with health, a healthy bone, healthy situations. So why would immune cells even be there? Why does that happen? So the bone is actually a site for certain immune cells to be formed or generated. It's the main site where all of our blood cells are formed. Um, so the most dominant immune cell that's there are hematopoietic stem cells, and they basically are the builders of, of all of our, our um, blood cells, the red and white blood cells. Hmm. And then there can be um, some myeloid cells, so those are the cells that include what are called um, the innate immune cells. So they're the first line of defense against bacterial infections and viruses. And then we have a small percentage, like less than 5% of T cells, um, and there are some B cells, those are our immune cells that have memory. And so they can continue the fight after the innate immune cells are, are kind of um, done with the initial attack. Okay, so the bone then, it sounds like, is both a starting point for the immune system. So you said there are stem cells there, and stem cells of the immune system are the ones that are going to give rise to all of our immune cells you mentioned white cells and our red blood cells, um, cells of our innate and adaptive immune system. So this is 
a pretty critical place for the immune system to hang out. So the immune system is just there doing its job. All right, so that's in a healthy situation. So help us to understand maybe the big picture of what happens to immune cells in bones that have been invaded by prostate cancer. So that's actually still a really large unknown um, and it's the major focus of my laboratory. We're trying to understand um, what the metastatic prostate cancer cells are doing to one of the more dominant um, myeloid populations, which are called neutrophils. So neutrophils, again, are um, kind of first line of defense cells, and the bone is a major um, hub for them is where they're formed. And so one of the things that we've found is that actually a tumor in the bone gets attacked by neutrophils that are in the bone, but then there's some sort of switch where all of a sudden that tumor is kind of evasive or kind of insensitive to any more immune killing. And so we're trying to figure out what regulates this tumor um, to be basically ignored now by these neutrophils so that it can't be killed anymore. Interesting. So it, it sounds like the immune system initially does its job, which is to recognize mm -hmm. things that are different. Certainly cancer right. cells fall into that category, um, but then for some reason stops in the case of metastatic prostate cancer and the cancers grow in the bone despite the presence of all these immune cells that should be able to recognize and eliminate the tumor. So right. I, I guess what are your what are your thoughts? Can you help us to understand what's the switch that's taking place between the immune system recognizing and killing metastatic can prostate cancer and then stopping? So um, in several cancers, there has been um, the uh, molecules known as PD-1 and PD-L1, which are the basis for what's called the checkpoint blockade. Um, inhibitors and basically these tumors over time will secrete these kind of um, negative signals to turn off T-cell activation. And so we've started to look to see if that's a role in the bone, and we, we aren't really seeing that playing a role specifically in the bone environment with the prostate cancer cells, but we are seeing uh, changes in a, a protein called STAT. Um, and STATs are really important for both um, prostate cancer growth, but then also immune cell growth. That is important for the neutrophils being able to kill the prostate cancer cells. And so we think it may be this, this sort of thing where the cancer is trying to survive. And so it will express certain signals that are activating the neutrophils, and then it will turn that off um, mm -hmm. to be able to survive. So we're trying to kind of pin down exactly whether or not that's the mechanism, but it appears that the prostate cancer cells are kind of evolving in the bone to be able to um, evade the neutrophils by these stat molecules. Wow, that's really interesting. So you're right. We hear all the time in the news about how tumors change and make themselves either inaccessible to the immune system to killing by kind of hiding and... Um, I, I like to think of it as, you know, if, if tumor cells had on different pieces of clothing, like a red sweater and some boots and a cool hat, that if it was the hat that the immune system was recognizing, the tumor cells would just say, all right, I don't need a hat and get rid of it. Um, and 
it in that way could change the types of proteins that are on the surface of the tumor cell as the tumor cell evolves. Um, but you bring up a really interesting point um, that's a huge challenge right now, is that these changes that tumor cells seem to undergo seem to be quite different for every cancer and in mm-hmm. almost every patient um, and certainly in, in different environments. And in this case, we're talking specifically about prostate cancer and specifically about prostate cancer that's metastasized to the bone. Right. So it sounds like the changes that these cells are undergoing may be quite different than what we're seeing in other environments and in other tumors. Could you comment on that a little bit? Right. So um, that actually is a really interesting part of it because one of the additional focuses of my lab is also looking at neutrophils and pancreatic cancer. And those cells act completely different from prostate cancer, and they don't often metastasize to bone. And so specifically back to the prostate cancer, what we're seeing is um, different molecules that are expressed by the prostate cancer to kind of help them um, evade or or blind themselves to the neutrophils killing them. But then also something about those cells, they begin to change the neutrophils as well. So it's not the same neutrophils that they interact with when they metastasize to bone. And we we think that that's a part of it too. So not only are they different and they're more aggressive than the initial prostate cancer cells, but they also have a way of communicating with that new environment and specifically the neutrophils so that that also determines whether or not the neutrophils can kill them. Okay, so this is not a great situation that's happening right. in the bone. Yeah, so you, you ha- going on. There's a lot going on, and, and how sneaky. I mean, cancer cells, ugh. Yeah. So they are not only taking off or hiding the things about themselves that make them different, whether it's the hat or the sweater or, you know, whatever we would want to think about mm-hmm. the proteins that are on their surface, but they're also sending out messages to the other cells in their environment. And you did a really nice job of telling us about all these different immune cells that are there, um, which are just growing and dividing and growing up as immune cells, but also have this cool role of attacking and killing. And one of those specific cells is neutrophils that are going to typically kill either infected cells or cancer cells. And so these metastatic prostate cancer cells have a way of telling the neutrophils, there's nothing to see here. This is not a problem. (laughs) Yeah. But they're not doing the same thing, potentially, in pancreatic cancer. So a different cancer in a different environment in the body. Right. Uh-huh. Okay. So then let's maybe take this to a next step. So knowing all of these things and all of these complications about the different types of cancer cells and the different environments they're in and the different cells of the immune system they're interacting with and, and trying to avoid, how might what you're doing um, change the ways that we could potentially treat um, metastatic prostate cancer? Well, one of the things that um, has come out in my field is, is that in the prostate cancer tumors, a lot of researchers believe that neutrophils, for example, are bad and that they actually help the tumor grow. But what we're seeing is that just like every patient is different, every tissue environment is different. But it does seem to be that 
when a tumor is localized to prostate um, to the prostate cancer or prostate, it will act a certain way versus when it goes into the bone, it will act a different way. And so I think we just have to um, look at it on a more personalized level. So based off of my data, we would suggest that we should actually try to um, increase the activation of these cells that might be bad in a patient with localized disease, but in a patient with metastatic disease, they're actually doing their job. So I think that um, my research will kind of open the doors to a little bit more of a personalized approach, specifically for metastatic patients, which um, tend to, as I mentioned, they, we don't really have a lot of specific therapies just for them. So I think um, our data is really showing not just how complicated it is, but also it's not a one-size-fits-all that just because it's prostate cancer, we can treat all prostate cancer the same way regardless of where it's at. And I think we're definitely going to be able to, to get some new therapies for those who have bone metastasis. I love that hopeful angle. And what a fantastic observation that the disease that starts in one place is quite different than where it ends and how it changes and how it interacts with not only the environment but the immune system. So, uh, and you're right, we have a, an enormous need for better treatments for metastatic prostate cancer um, and a personalized approach would just be fantastic. So congratulations. We're excited and hopeful and um, really looking forward to all the things that are to come from your lab. Thank you. I'd love to know like when you're, I don't know, when you're in the shower driving to work, um, what are you most excited about right now in your research? Um, I'm always excited when we find things that we didn't expect. So when I went into this area, I actually also assumed that neutrophils were bad and that when a tumor metastasizes to bone that it kind of convinces those immune cells to help it. Um, but we have this data that's actually the total opposite of what we expected. And to me, that's the most exciting thing because there's always so many more questions I always have, but to me it's really exciting when you have unexpected discoveries because I feel like that's when we're truly able to kind of make some advances in the field with the ultimate goal of helping patients, right? Um, and so I, I'm most excited about these little things um, on the basic science area that we've identified that we didn't really think we were going to see. But then also now I'm working with some oncologists at UNMC to see how we can kind of translate our findings and see how close our findings are to the actual prostate cancer patients that we're seeing in our clinic. Yeah, I wouldn't call these little things. I think that, number one, we are yeah. grateful for and excited about your open-mindedness because sometimes it's hard to plan an experiment and have data that's against the norm and maybe against what you hypothesized. Um, but hats off to you to, for following your gut and following your data um, down an unexpected path. Thank you. It's really exciting. So... One of the things that I'm interested to know about you is how the American Cancer Society has impacted your career. I'd, I'd love to know if there's been a role that the ACS has played in your in your story. 
Um, definitely. Actually, um, I was first connected with the ACS during my postdoctoral fellowship. So I, when I was still training, at that time I was just learning about bone metastasis, um, and the American Cancer Society awarded me with a postdoctoral fellowship. And through that, it really kind of um, brought me into the ACS community, and I got to know a lot of people like you um, who are our program officers. And, and I always feel like with ACS, um, it resonates with everyone I've met that you really care about the patients at the end of the day, and you're so supportive of cancer research. And as cancer researchers, our main goal is to develop new therapies for patients. And so... Um, now I was actually recently awarded um, a grant, a research scholar grant, to help fund my own independent work. And I always just feel like ACS believes in me and my ideas. So um, I think that's that's the thing that I love about ACS is that I really feel like it's patient-oriented, but um, you also really believe in the researchers and our mission to try to, to get some new therapies out there. So... Speaking of patients, um, many of our listeners are cancer patients or folks that that love somebody who has cancer. So I'd I'd be interested to know if you have a message you would like to share with these listeners in particular. Um, I would say don't get discouraged. Um, There's a lot of conspiracy theories out there, a lot of people saying that um, they're the cure and things like that. And it can be very disheartening for the families who are going through it actively. Um, And I think, you know, you shouldn't get as discouraged about some of that um, information because we are, like, on the battlefield as as researchers where we are really working night and day trying to help patients at the end of the day. And so I would say – if you hear about trials that you can be a part of, get involved. Um, get involved in fundraising for cancer research because that's another theory is that the money doesn't come to us. But that's not true. Um, a large chunk of my research career, including um, experiments, have been paid for by the American Cancer Society. So I would say don't get discouraged, but also utilize each other as support systems as well. Um, one of the things I tend to do is to um, – interact with patients and their families so I can kind of get a different perspective than just the research side. And I've seen that it does help to know what we're doing, talk to us, but then also talk to each other, the families who are also dealing with similar things. Mm, That's a great perspective. You're right. We have so much to learn from each other as sponsors of cancer research, of our researchers, and, and certainly the, the patients and caregivers that um, it is our goal to, to help. So uh, maybe I'll close just with one final question, and that is, um, it, it's interesting to me that we are still challenged around health disparities in, in many cancers. It's an interesting isn't the right word. It's disappointing and discouraging, yet this is a place the ACS is working very hard to be impactful. And there's certainly a health disparity in metastatic prostate cancer where we see um, a substantially increased risk in African-American men. Um, Is that something you think about? um, Or when you're talking to patients, is there a, a piece of you that is motivated specifically to be impactful in this area? Um, Definitely. That was actually one of the the things I was 
interested in when I first was introduced into research was I was introduced uh, or I was interested in health disparities research and my research just, ha just hasn't taken me there yet. Um, but definitely the men in my family, I had a cousin who had prostate cancer. He came to me asking me for options. Um, and his doctor did tell him that African-American men have the highest risk. And so I just kind of disseminate whatever information I can. I do know that black men have um, an overall higher PSA um, than um, Caucasian men. And so if you go to the doctor early enough and you start seeing rises in your PSA, then definitely you should move forward and get it checked out. And so um, I think one of the things in, in our community as an African-American woman is that we don't talk about it um, enough. And so I think a key thing is to disseminate the information and to let um, black men know to go ahead and start getting checked earlier than um, Caucasian men might start checking on their prostate, even though it's an uncomfortable thing to, to think about and talk about. Well, those individuals are lucky to have you in their community, in their circle, um, and you're absolutely right, uh, Leah. We 100% believe in you and are extraordinarily proud of you and excited about what you're doing. So, uh -huh. Thank you so much. Well, you keep up the good work. and. Um, We'll be looking forward to more good things to come. Thanks for sharing your time with us today. Thank you again for having me. It's been great.